Hey listeners, producer Cam here. The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and of course, sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you are not already a The Athletic subscriber, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe. To sign up today. Again, go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Perform on the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, the only podcast about Chicago's Southside baseball team that's hosted by me, John Greenberg, and more importantly, James Fegan. Subscribe to White Sox Business on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check out James and my work on The Athletic as well. James, will the White Sox ever lose again? Yes or no? Uh, well, they're not going to play the Tigers uh, you know, in perpetuity, so I would say <laughs> yes, they will lose again. <laughs> what did you learn? Let's talk about what we learned during the Tigers series besides as Blackhawks fans would say, Detroit sucks. Um, let's, we'll, we'll start with Tim Anderson, the hottest hitter on the planet, not named Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, Tim Anderson, I don't know, that kind of does dovetail back to the central point <laughs> of Detroit sucks since I think he's hit five of six home runs this year <laughs> off of them and is batting. I don't know. They started to actually get him out on occasion. Like, I think he only went two for four um, on Thursday. Uh so I think his average against them for the season might be down to like 500 or so. I'm not joking, but yeah, he, he's done like all these masterful things to kind of reel them in. And he like shuffles in the box when he's anticipating like a breaking pitch and steps up to cut off the angle of it. And, uh, you know, fouls off all these tough pitches because he can hang with off speed on the outer half of the plate now and all this stuff. But yeah, he is only doing it. Not, he's only doing, he's not like been garbage against other teams, but like, the whole like supernova version of uh, Tim Anderson has been against the the Tigers, and you know that's a function of the fact that just they played them seven times, I think, in the past you know week plus or so. So it just he's been hot, and it happened to be who he's facing. But yeah, you, it's I think that would be a something I would apply to the team at large is they they are nine and one now against Kansas City and Detroit. Um, they have absolutely obliterated mediocre pitching and they can hit mistakes to the moon, but it would probably be very interesting this weekend. Finally, it's a weekend, you know, a, a Cubs-Sox game that's more about, maybe not more about, I think everyone still just wants uh, bragging rights, but it's about seeing them how they size up against a good team because, um, you know, talking to hitting coach Frank Menachino earlier today, you know, they clearly can hit a lot of home runs, but he's probably more concerned about their approaches and strikeout rates. And right now they're pretty high for all the core guys you care about developing. And, um, you know, we can see that they can hit bad 92-mile-an-hour fastballs to the moon, but probably need to take some sort of next step as far as when they face top-end stuff in command. Uh, just to, to clarify, he went two for four on Thursday, right? Right. So With he's 14... 14- so he's 14 of 25 against Detroit with five home runs. Uh, two for four with a hit by pitch, after which he uh, stole a base like two pitches later. It's, <laughs> and he got the ninth inning off just because they were up nine to nothing. Right. It was a very much like... Um, so he's hitting 560 against the Tigers. Yeah, like 
very much like the scouts saw what they want to see. He's going to get the scholarship to, uh, you know, Florida <laughs> State. And let's let's not get him injured type of feel by the end of Thursday's game. Right. He's hit against every team except uh, the Twins. Right. The Twins Which, are the only team that. Yeah. So that's that's the team you kind of wanted them to hit against. That's a three game set at the start of the year where kind of right. seemingly everyone started out flat. I think he got a like a bullet single his first at bat of the season and then was like cold for the rest of the weekend. It wasn't right. like a big Tim Anderson's broken type of experience. Right. And he didn't hit against the Cardinals. Um, but I don't think really too many people did until the end, until that last game. Right. Like it's it's how much did you want to indict the team for having like at this point, yes, they've only really just crushed these bad teams, but um, also, that's know, good. It's it's that's twenty five games, twenty six games. Like right. that's, that's half their season. <laughs> you can't just eliminate it, right? Exactly. Like especially this year, yeah, crush the bad teams. That's the purpose. That's how you make the playoffs. And right now, they have a very high playoff uh, percentage. So this was, I mean, before we, we did our last podcast, you know, just talking about how they needed to take care of business and what was it like just to watch them. Was it tough to judge, like you said, just because the Tigers weren't very good? In some senses, yes. I would say this is exactly a team you expected them to be. That this was a team that was not supposed to be as good. You know, P- Cleveland was supposed to be better pitching wise, and Minnesota was just supposed to be better overall, and they're supposed to be right in the middle. So that would inherently mean that they'd be a lot, a, a big step ahead of Kansas City and Detroit. And maybe if they're even going to struggle, like they really to really be a successful team, they have to absolutely annihilate those teams, and they have. So on that end, like, no, it's not that hard. They're kind of, you know, they are who we thought they were. When you're in the seventh inning of a game and James McCann is seemingly so bored that he's having Lucas Giolito throw nine changeups in a row, then it's a little bit, you're like, I, I don't know if he can do that in a playoff game. Um, I don't know if the hitters are going to be just this awful at making adjustments uh, in a playoff game. Um, you know, Detroit, as much as they're a talented dudes, they – made season debuts for two guys uh, this this series. That's that's pretty rare to just have a team that's just spamming, uh, you know, minor leaguers, guys who haven't pitched above double A uh, against them. And I, I think for the most part, you kind of saw the product of that. Like Tariq Skubal could be, a, 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 however the hell you say his name, could be a nightmare in the, the division for a decade, but he looked like a guy who hadn't pitched above double A and couldn't get a breaking ball over the plate. And they just annihilated him. That's cool. That's what a major league team should do. But um, and, you know, maybe in 2018, you didn't really feel like the White Sox are a major league team, uh, but but they are now. And we probably <laughs> want to <laughs> judge them to a higher standard. But, hey, at least at least they are as advertised in terms of hell if this team isn't the third best team in the AL Central. They're certainly not worse. Right. The on base, like you said, with Manichino, the on base from the team perspective is pretty bad. Slugging is pretty good. Eloy's like, you know, look at Eloy. Slugging 560 is on base is 302. Abreu's right. 330, 509. Tim, however, 414, 758. That's pretty good. I would he, say Abreu is certainly at this point in his career, you would take that end of season. You're right. not really expecting him to like be a big on-base machine monster. He sells out for RBIs just way too hard. <laughs> Eloy, he'd maybe like it a little over 302. Yeah. Uh, Eloy, Eloy can grow Jose Abreu. Please don't fall apart over the course of three years. Right. Can can and can Tim slug seven fifty eight? <laughs> like that paper over that paper's over a lot of issues, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say so. Every time I'm not even watching the game half the time. I'm, I'm like catching it later while I'm doing stuff. And 
you know, I just see people tweeting up oh, Tim Homer again, <laughs> another Homer for Anderson. And I just kind of have to wait for, I, you know, I rushed it to, to get to my TV and I just have to wait for the Twitter highlights. It's funny because I have to remember that, you know, now having read uh, Rob Arthur, that like the, the ball is not juiced anymore this year, or at least less so, uh, more 2018 standards, I guess. So like when Tim Anderson is like spraying home runs the right field, it's, it's not just the game kind of being goofy and broken or when L.A. Jimenez is not getting uh, all of it from the ball and still kind of clearing the wall by a you know, row or two into the seats. It actually kind of is kind of a, a, a testament to their kind of nutty tools for, for for this group. One, just kind of ridiculous power for L.A., but for Tim, just ridiculous for somebody who can stand at shortstop who can kind of hit home runs all parts of the ballpark. And it's just ridiculously locked in at the moment. But yeah. Tim's I was thinking about this today when when people always talk about guys like Tim Anderson you know and I don't know how good of a basketball player he really was you know we know like the legend of it but you know you talk about guys like oh that guy used to play baseball too I wonder how good he would have been if you know this athletic guy gave baseball his full a chance right and Tim is really like I think literally the best case scenario for those kind of like mental gymnastics like oh how good would this guy been you know how good would Allen Iverson have been as a quarterback it's Tim Tim Anderson's baseball career now is you know because because the White Sox have taken chances on athletes before that haven't panned out plenty of them and I if you know White Sox fans listen to this will probably screaming them right now you know into into their headphones but Tim is like the best case scenario for what could happen right which was why maybe I don't know like Tim Anderson is if you cover his story, it's like three or four fluky occurrences linked together to lead him into baseball and not some other sport. Like being like the the fastest guy. The fact that he wasn't like a, just a football player because he grew up in literally Tuscaloosa, Alabama in the first place. It's just like an absurd. And then right, multiple yeah. stress fractures in his legs, uh, you know, somehow halting his basketball career. But not really like it just kind of messed up his scholarship situation. But like he still played. He still started for the scene as a senior for the team that won state championship. And then like all these weird little like side occurrences, the fact that like he his like he had friends who uh, whose parents drove him to like play travel ball baseball and and, the, you know, the, all the right. weird fluky things of Neil Holloman seeing him play a, a high school game. And then, uh, you know, his, his friends talking about a transferring out of playing Juco ball like uh, two weeks in the program because like they were working him super hard. And he's like this sport is kind of dumb and lame and I don't want to play it anymore anyway. And just it, it's Tim Anderson is not like, see, we, we can, uh, you know, grow the baseball, grow right. baseball players out of, out of, uh, you know, the, the deep South and where we have no infrastructure for, uh, you know, black kids growing up. Like it's, it's very much like, no, you got stupid lucky that this guy is even remotely involved <laughs> in baseball. <laughs> How did he not play football? Do you ever figure that he just didn't want to see a guy that just doesn't want to get hit? Was that kind of his thing as a kid? I don't think so. I mean, it just seems like he was really into basketball. Like, it, it, he never, like, said he had – it didn't seem like maybe the infrastructure wasn't there for him to get regularly, like, go to football camps or anything like that, and basketball is just something easier for him to do on his own. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I should ask him one point, like, why Why are you not a <laughs> – why are you not a Pro Bowl uh, cornerback? <laughs> right. Well, you know, I did a, couple, a few years ago, I, I was thinking about this just randomly – and so I went around, I just did it with the Cubs and went around asking a bunch of guys, like if they played football growing up, just to hear what the answers were. And it was really interesting depending on where they grew up. You know what I mean? And like what kind of high school they went to. 
Like yeah. I remember John Jay telling me he wanted to play, and I think he played as a freshman at like whatever Miami high school he went to. But then he said they basically weren't allowed to do both because fall baseball was such a big deal. Hmm. And then like Rizzo did play, and he said he said it. He remembers crashing into another defensive end when they're trying to tackle uh, Denard Shoelaces Robinson. <laughs> he juked them out, and he like hurt his shoulder. And his brother played college ball. And then a couple other, like Addison Russell played a little. Ben Zobrist was like a small town, like, you know, football legend. Adam, <laughs> was, Adam Engel's YouTube video of football are insane. Is it good? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He, was, he, was, he was a force of nature. It's like uh, John Lackey was like a quarterback in uh, Odessa Permian's league. And like, he was like a f- starting quarterback. He said he could have played. So like, it's, it was interesting to see like what guy. And then Jason Hayward, though, grew up in, you know, in, in suburban Atlanta and said he never played a down of football. He never played basketball. All he did was baseball. And, you know, that was kind of the, the, he said he always wondered like a little bit, like, you know, how good he could have been at other sports. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's probably another unexplored thing with angle. Like what, what did urban Meyer do to mess up just landing since Cincinnati's finest, uh, as like some sort of like I don't know. Oh, Adam, Adam Engel is a, a, a slot receiver in Ohio State would have been like the biggest like cult hero. I feel like. <laughs> okay, he's from Loveland. All right, I know where that is. I think one of my college, oh, my, one of my yeah, one of my freshman. I think my freshman roommate was from there. Um, not quite the, the athlete that Adam Engel is, though. Did have a lot more Disney clothes than Adam Engel probably does. Um, <laughs> not as much right, Dr. Talk- Pepper gear though. Not as much time. He might. I haven't seen him in a long time. Seems like he could be. He seems like a kind of guy that would have a Dr. Pepper hat. Uh, maybe not as. Maybe wouldn't look as good as Adam Engel in it, though. Yeah, that's, that's uh, hard. What, yeah. What about? The, so let's talk about the pitching. Uh, you know, Thursday was Lucas Giolito striking out thirteen, and you career high. You tweeted uh, earlier that you thought he could. He's looked better. He had. He was like missing. <laughs> Right. He, that's how bad Detroit is. He like the first couple innings, he was um, he he was he spraying the fastball a little bit, and uh, you know there have been outings where he's just been fastball change. He was like work trying to work in the slider, but it was functionally useless. I think like the stats on it were, I think he threw it like maybe fifteen times. It maybe got called for a strike once, and it got swung at like two. He was basically like. Um, like an automatic ball every time. He was trying to work it in just for the sake of working it in, but it was like, um, it was, it was like a comedian doing like his his HBO special, but then like he spent ten minutes just working chopping stuff, and that was him throwing the slider. And then every now and then, I was like, all right, I gotta. So there's like a full count. Let me just blow three fastballs by them, or let me throw three changeups in a row, and they'll swing out in front of all of them. Like it, it was it was strange to watch. Like he definitely, I've seen like the the Astros shut out. And certainly the twins shutout last year were both clearly technically more, you know, precise outings. And this was just, um, you know, he, he would, I wouldn't, I use the metaphor playing with his food too often, but it was just like a couple of times where he'd get deep in the count and he'd be like, all right, I guess it's time to go. And then just kind of blow everybody away. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say like, oh, these are, it wasn't like Zach Stewart's almost throwing a perfect game against the 2011 twins or anything like that, where he's just throwing 91 mile heaters right down the pipe and they were getting fouled out. But it was definitely, I wouldn't say he would get lit up by a good offensive team, but maybe he goes like, 
especially with this pitch count, maybe six innings allows one or two runs against like a top flight offense in the league. He, the, the Tigers definitely enable it to make it a little bit easier than it would be. Like Lucas Giolito at this point is a proven good pitcher. This is not like the absolute best I've ever seen him. And beyond the numbers bearing that out, I, I, I think it's just um, I, I don't think it's a diss to him or try to tear him down to say, yeah, I've seen him sharper, but, you know, it wasn't a good offense. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about your guy. You got to finally see Dane Dunning pitch in a White Sox uniform. Were you thinking last year maybe, and maybe you know that that you this was never you were never going to see it. Yeah, at a certain point where you have a guy go through the elbow sprain, the rehab, the um, especially the the kind of creepy the way they handled him twenty nineteen spring training it was like, well, he's perfectly fine. We're just hiding him from view and sending him to minor league camp, even though he's like should be in double A. We talk about him being major league ready. And then lo and behold, he basically never throws a pitch and it gets Tommy John surgery. And now he's going to basically go two years without pitching in any sort of way. That's not the sort of progression you want to see for anybody. Even someone like Dunning, who I feel like he was in low A and they were talking about like, he's near major league ready. He's so polished. He throws strikes. And it's just like, right. Why isn't he here already? So yeah, it was discouraging track for him but at the same time you watch him pitch and it's kind of like uh oh well this is exactly what was advertised i'm i don't know why i'm so surprised about this this is this is what he looked like every time i ever saw him pitch live and this is what he's always been talked about but apparently after two years and him being hurt apparently his stuff didn't back up apparently his command didn't disappear he's, he's the same dude and that's that's great for him especially since he's 25 and there's not much you know more time to waste before you start wondering is this guy a prospect or is this a guy that you kind of have to figure out what you're going to do with um, I would say as someone who watched them try to get four innings out of Drew Anderson one bullpen day and, you know, watched another kind of wonky bullpen day during the seven inning double header, I get why they're holding him back a little bit. He definitely is not all the way stretched out. He, you know, he was absolutely electric for three innings and then the fourth inning seemed to kind of hit a wall command and fatigue wise. And by the fifth inning, it was, you know, Renneria is getting yelled at all over for not pulling him sooner. And he definitely doesn't quite seem like on that, you know, every five days he's going to give you five, six innings yet and they have to build him up. So I don't I, I probably wouldn't have sent him to Schomburg. <laughs> that doesn't seem necessary. You could probably throw have him play a sim game while he's still at the team. But I get that they're still kind of ramping him up to where he needs to be. And given the fact that he has had a, you know, a good Tommy John recovery where, you know, Jimmy Lambert is, is probably uh, inactive until he's. I wouldn't expect to see Lambert again this season. You know, I, I, would, I would not quibble too much with them being cautious with them, but uh, at the same time, I don't know what the hell is going on with this rotation. They're seemingly moving Gio Gonzalez out of his slot on Saturday. It's most likely that'd be Ronaldo Lopez, but I wouldn't expect them to be fully stretched out. I don't know what their eagerness is to push Gio Gonzalez out of the mix since he's been fine, um, but they are seemingly handling with this weird. Uh, caution where they don't really trust them to pitch five innings. It's it's all kind of a weird morass after um, you know Giolito and Keuchel. I feel is that Sunday they're doing that or Saturday? Saturday. Okay, because I was looking at the probables. Su- Sunday is Dylan Cease's revenge. Where I oh, um, see the the White Sox probables page has Cease going Saturday against Hendricks. Well, that would be weird since I don't. I think that'd be pushing him up in schedule since he just pitched like. Maybe we should take this up with Merkin. Tuesday. Probables. Yeah, I think he messed it up. I think the game notes say Sunday. I don't know if he still has to do the probables. I think so. Because whenever there's a big thing, 
that was a big thing when I in because I used to freelance there for years, and that was like they were so worried about the probables. That was like I think it must it probably gets like an insane amount of traffic from people like fantasy players, gamblers. Today's game notes say Sunday Dylan Seas versus you Darvish. I guess we have only to just out. judging from Sahadov's Twitter enthusiasm, I would say you Darvish is pitching uh, a lot better than Dylan Cease is, who is getting <laughs> by while throwing very weirdly so far this season. <laughs> Cease has a good ER. If you just looked at his ERA, you'd think he's having a great year. Which I'm sure will be argued uh, when some nosy reporter tries to point out, like, why is his strikeout rate like cut in half or anything like that? Right. He had but, like three um, strikeouts last game, didn't he? Six and a third. Right. Three strikeouts, three walks. Been very typical so far. Right. Um, so yeah, so Dane Dunn, what did you think though? Like of actually watching him pitch? I mean, you, you have literally the worst vantage point in the world at White Sox home games to watch pitches, but I can pick up when lefties are throwing changeups from the side angles. That's kind of cool. It's quite a feather in your cap. I should, I should yell to opposing hitters when I see it coming. Maybe you could like, (laughs) you could like whistle or bang on a trash can. (laughs) What was it like seeing him though? Uh, I thought he looked. Really great. I mean, as far as his stuff, like he's a low 90s guy, but like he does it really effectively. Like you when you hear somebody say like, well, I like to throw the two seamer, but I'm also being told about riding the four seamer up. You don't assume that they're very comfortable doing that. Like they're not going to be someone who blows away a high heat, but he really did it. Like he, he he blew away like his first career strikeout was blowing some guy away with 93 and he was able to throw his like slider off of that basically all night. Um, he threw five pitches and could locate them all for strikes. I mean, the, the shakiest thing that he had probably was that curveball that James Shields taught him like two years ago. But, uh, you know, I, I guess I got, he keeps it alive as an homage to uh, the, the fallen uh, Wego G. But he, he looked everything as advertised. Like, other than the fact, if you just assume the fact that fourth inning and fifth inning was all about him tiring, it certainly looked like that. He looked like a guy and, you know, maybe a guy who when everything's right and he's healthy and his, his location is really on point is somebody who you don't sweat being the, you know, the number three or four starter on a good team. So I, I, given the fact that he's been on the shelf for two years, I, I think it's a tremendous bonus. I mean, it's not like, you know, a world of trust has been built up with Carlos Rodon or Ronaldo Lopez over the last, uh, you know, two years. So yeah, it's, it's a great thing to have in their pocket. What'd you think? Uh, what did you think of Gio Gonzalez in his outing? Ten, four, what did it, four and two thirds, but he struck out 10. Yeah, four and two thirds for the uh, for the second straight timeout for a guy who's definitely old school enough to uh, notice that he's not not in line for the win when that happens. Um, <laughs> he's he's Gio Gonzalez. You know, I, I wouldn't say you know, damn, can they pick up that option now? Like I, but he's <laughs> he's kind of in the zone where I don't really worry about his peripherals or I don't like how sustainable is this trend or anything like that. Like, is is he keeping you in the game? And he, he's yeah, he he's not doesn't have the big fastball anymore. The curve has been that was probably the best night of the curve I've seen all season. But he changes speeds enough to kind of get you through and misses bats. He's he's a very frustrating guy to watch. Um, you know, if you're actually worried about the results, I would imagine in terms of just like how deep all his counts go, how much traffic he's always working with. I would feel very shaky about trying to get more than two turns to the batting order in a game of consequence with him. And clearly, Renneria. F- feels the same uh, even against the Tigers. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's the fifth starter. I, I think he's fine kind of plugging in there. I think um, he, he's someone you don't really have to 
stress about um, in the same way as far as like, you know, not using him on short rest or, you know, kind of wearing him out pitch wise. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering why they're weirdly hesitant to kind of, uh, you know, jerk him around the rotation and, and move him back to bullpen other than he can, you know, you can't do that same thing with cease and say that you're focusing on his long-term development. So I I guess, at this point in his career, he's a guy to kind of be, you know, moved around and uh, used and abused in a little way. And I guess they're doing it, but um, it seems like he's been relatively stable compared to like both Naldo and uh, Rodon's shoulders kind of blowing up uh, first turn through the rotation. So I- I'm wondering why they're not just leaving him be, but I guess we'll see. I can't, I'm a little, I'm excited to see the series. I mean, it's weird to have a Cubs Sox series without fans, obviously, just like it's weird to have Cubs, you know, White Sox Tigers and then, you know, Thursday afternoon without fans. Um, I feel like Tim Anderson could really, really go towards like Cubs villain status. He's in that mode right now. And I could, I would just love to have seen him like, you know, just watching a home run fly into the bleachers and just Cubs fans just booing him. And then the, you know, the camera obviously panning towards like the Cubs fan sitting with the White Sox fan, which is like their favorite thing to do during these games. I'm sure he'd love that. I mean, it's kind of weird. And then in this, you know, meandering thing I'm I'm writing right now, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's finally a series that has, we've been promised the whole time where it's actually like a legitimate, you know, some heat. They're both good teams. They're both fighting for a playoff spot. Like this series matters beyond just what we're trying to make it matter and trying to make it an event. But now it's removed that audience that kind of really gave it the tension that we really enjoy it. Like, even though... Even if they didn't care, maybe only Charlie Tilson is the person who really cared about the, you know, the the Chicago bragging rights nature of the, the <laughs> back and forth. Um, the Sox players liked it just because it was like one of their few times playing against a packed house the entire season. So they, they got up for it. So now the fact that like it's finally like a showdown between two playoff caliber teams and that's gone. It's 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 kind of a bummer, but, you know, <laughs> fits with the whole year. Yeah, at least we don't have at least we don't have someone quoting Hawk saying he's never going to step foot in there again. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> it will be at least maybe the Aussie maybe they'll do uh, the Aussie post game show or pregame show will do some funny moments they can bring up of it'd be really good if they went like instead of just asking them to say the same things which we do every year we would do I mean you know hey Aussie talk about the rats hey what about the fans it'd actually be funny to go through some of the quotes. Because those are really funny, like the actual like audio would be hilarious. Tim is, has a five twenty one OPS against the Cubs in sixteen games. Probably mm. is worst against any opponent he's faced uh, more than like three times. See, and I so I think that maybe it changes. Maybe, maybe it seems like it. seems like Eloy is the one who gets up for the series as much as anything. Um, I don't know if a it's possible to stir emotions in Dylan C's, but maybe this would do it. <laughs> maybe he'll blink a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it would have been fun to see him go up against Hendricks, two very non-emotive guys. Who is he going against? Um, you said you, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, and you've been, you've been incredible. Uh, that is going to be a really interesting game is to watch you against the White Sox hitters. That will be fun just to see kind of power versus power and, I, and how it goes. Do you think it's the, the, the negging he got from the Chicago media for a year that brought out the best in him in the end? Like, I do. I do, yeah. He does he, credit he Kaplan a lot. <laughs> the ca- Remember he called him the Kaplan? Yes. 
Wait, did he call? No, he didn't call him the Kaplan, did he? Oh, yeah, he called him the Kaplan. What did? And then Sammy said something like, he kept calling him Kaplan too. It was really funny when he did his little Sammy interview. Um, yeah, it's kind of stink. Like I'm, I didn't even write like a the usual bullshit preview column for it. Honestly, just because just not like the same. Maybe I'll do it for the last one. There's well, I've got you covered. Oh, so you've got the you got the bullshit preview. Nice. Uh, it's actually probably when I stay bullshit for 300 words and then take a hard turn into pure nerdiness. Okay, well, it's kind of how you usually do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't even. I will. I will promise people that I will tweet out the um, the video of Lou Pinnell and Ozzy rapping because that was kind of the pinnacle of the Cub Sox rivalry in modern times. It's kind of like shouting. It was great. You don't, it's you don't like the think the Frank Thomas and Anthony Rizzo want a beef commercials are the pinnacle of the rivalry? No. What was the? Wasn't there a McDonald's one with like Bobby Jenks? Uh, that that's beyond me. That, that was, <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that or Jenks and AJ maybe. That was an era of White Sox baseball where I was like sober sixty percent of the time. Okay. <laughs> You're just flipping people off in parking lots and yeah, like I run in the streets. When it, when whenever I don't have much memories of like Bobby Jenks's like consecutive batters retired streak, other than like blinkedly hangover watching a game and Hawk announcing it, me being like, oh man, really? <laughs> cool. I remember talking about that once, that and something else with AJ. And then he kind of came to the realization, he's like, man, all those records kind of come in like bad seasons for us. <laughs> and we're just like, yeah, I kind of didn't, kind of, not the most meaningful like records when they come in like, like 78 win seasons. Yeah, Burley's uh, record <laughs> ended in the, by the Twins, like, uh, you know, Piranha offense, just like blitzing him in the middle of the sixth inning of a game they lost that they really needed. So right. <laughs> I'm sure his post-game interview was really pleased about it. I, I'm always mad I missed live the uh, the brawl. I didn't get to see it live, the Michael Barrett Brzezinski. I think my wife and I were just like walking around like, we're, I don't think we were, I don't even know if we were married then. I don't think so. But we were just like walking around like Lincoln Park and I kind of saw it through like the window, you know, like through a window of a bar. And then it was just like the biggest story, which was kind of awesome. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I would have wanted the, the 2000 brawl between the uh, Sox and Tigers, which would have been more interesting than this. Yeah, week. Well, we should. Well, yeah, we, why didn't we forgot to tweet that out? Can't believe that. That was perfect. It was, it was, it was revenge. Yeah. Perfect reheating. Uh Perfect chance to reheat. Um, who's the best player to play for the Cubs and the Sox? Uh, I don't know. How good was Greg Hibbert? I don't know. David Artsma? <laughs> uh, I mean, it seems like, I mean, legitimately, Jose Quintana has had like this very solid, boring career yeah. that no one would want to give as that answer. But um, he also, Jose Quintana also has a very solid argument as the greatest Colombian pitcher of all time. Who's second? Like Julio Teheran. Okay. Yeah, the Colombian uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. It's Edgar Renneria and, uh, I don't know, a sort of snacks arranged around a a portrait of him. And Orlando Cabrera, right? Right. Didn't they have, like, a rivalry? Didn't they hate each other? That that sounds like something that would happen with Orlando Cabrera. Yeah, there was something that happened, like some kind of schism. Uh, between those two. Yeah, yeah, they definitely, they're definitely in a bitter feud around 2008. Cause I just, uh, I just Googled it really quickly and there's a headline on ESPN.com. 
now it's personal. <laughs> so, uh, and it was horror. Our friend Jorge wrote it. Uh, it's now personal. Yeah, I remember that when Cabrera was on was on the because uh, that was the year he was on the White Sox, two thousand eight. Uh, what's your prediction for the weekend? Give me some predictions. Hmm, I would say Keuchel does really well, um, but I am very I'm not sold on what Cease has been doing recently. Working out, uh, I feel like the Cubs lineup has been would be decently able to exploit that and. With Saturday being a total black box as far as pitching wise, I would say probably some sort of slugfest. And uh, you know, I'm Eloy has always done really good with Hendricks. I think all these guys, um, if you kind of, certainly if, with Eloy, if he's like if he's not afraid of being having to cover the fastball or being blown away, he seems to be strangely good at the guys who can kind of command mm-hmm. and change speeds despite you know that kind of seeming against the type of the hyper aggressive slugger but um just with kind of the uncertainty of the rotation the fact that Julia is not involved i would probably just think the cubs take two out of three um i, I know it's not a popular statement but um you know it, something kind of wild cardy needs to happen for them to for the either of those two pitching matchups and not look like a big mismatch on paper and Obviously, starting pitching is only one component of how why a game might work a certain way. But from what I can go on, uh, it looks like it's in the Cubs' favor for most of the weekend. They made any fights in the press box? You think? Uh, if so, I'm I'm going to maintain social distancing and just cower behind my little like plexiglass screen that they've set up. You're not you're not going to you're not going to sucker punch the auto just for the heck of it, just to, just to keep your rep. No, I mean, I'm in like something like what, four text threads with Sada uh, <laughs> on a daily basis. It'd be really awkward to have to go back to those after after such an incident. Yeah, all right. Just thought I'd put it out there. Um, yeah, I like to stir it up with my crowd, you know, with my team. It's kind of like the one time when, um, yeah, God, what year was this? I just I missed it, and I remember uh, Patrick Rose, who's a freelancer with me with the AP, telling me about it. But one time at a Cubs Sox game, uh, Tellender and Mariotti got in literally almost like like a fist fight. Like there was, I don't think a punch was thrown. I think there might have been some shoves or some you know some grabs, and then they kind of had to be separated. That's a that's a classic Cubs Sox moment. What? But don't they? hate both teams like why is that why did that come about as cup socks oh no because it was the one time they saw each other because they were never uh, in the same press box usually because you know they're writing columns different days and they hated each other and it's i forget how it happened like i think i think tellender better confronted him about something Mary said about tellender because they were always sniping at each other like in like media you know in their own columns even it was a really weird time and yeah, they had to be separated. It was like someone said it was over something like that happened months ago, but they hadn't seen each other since. And well, so it that's erupted just part it of my theory of why, why this gets hyped up so much. Is I don't know if it like obviously the fans are interested, but it's also like all the media is like, well, we're all covering the same thing. It must be a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone used to, yeah. I remember, uh, I remember the trib. They used to write like little letters to each other uh, <laughs> about the seer, the beat writers would. Oh man, there is there. There was also like the great time. I think it was. I think it. It was Lou's last year where Lou blew up before a game at Steve Stone and at Cap about them criticizing him over Tyler Colvin's playing time. 
who was in the right <laughs> when it was all said and done? I don't think anyone was. <laughs> it was just Lou was just pissed because he knew it was kind of coming to an end. It was really weird. And then like I remember this because I was working for ESPN. I'm like, all right, I got to write this up really quick because Lou just went nuts and it was awesome. They still play. It's the one where he said, I'm not no damn dummy. I've been, you know, in this game for so long. And let me tell you, ask you another thing about Steve Stone. Why isn't he, you know, in the front office? Why doesn't he, why isn't he a pitching coach? And then like I went up to type it and then I found out that people were talking to Steve Stone because he was doing radio at this time. He was yeah. just on the score. He wasn't like their, their uh, play-by-play guy or their color guy. And then I like end up running into him on the ramp and getting my own stuff from him. Where it was pretty funny. He had some pretty good zingers back at Lou. Um, but yeah, it was Since like there's four after Tyler Colvin was impaled by a bat while playing four. Okay. <laughs> That's when it was still an issue of whether or not he should be getting more playing time in the outfield. Right. As opposed to like, do we pull it out or leave it in? Type right. Of exactly. And the end of his career basically. Um, and then there was the time two years in a row where Lou had to kick a guy out of his, out of his own dugout at the cell. <laughs> Which doesn't happen often when the, when the manager has to like tell a guy to leave, <laughs> but it happened two years in a row in that series. Do you, do you remember the two guys? No. One, this is going to shock you, Milton Bradley. Mm. The second, also going to surprise you, Carlos Sombrano. Mm, okay, mm. now this is sounding more. <laughs> I thought you meant kicking guys out like uh, you know Astro sign stealing type of guys. <laughs> No, no, he Lou had to kick his own players out. Yeah, uh, tell not his not own like players kicking someone out of the camera well who's looking no, creepy. No, he had to kick. He, Lou had to kick his 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 players out of the game and told them to leave. <laughs> Which we, we'd have no way of telling if that's a thing now because it's just like oh, they're social distancing or you know right. not guys. And it, it was almost surreal to see Luis Robert actually in the dugout to verify his existence today. That he was like walking around and like holding a bat. Because I, I just figured he would wouldn't be there or be in the clubhouse because there's there's just nobody in the dugout anymore. All right, we're just talking for ourselves now because there's no way anyone is still tuned into this. If you did actually listen to this, tweet us later once we tweet the links out and let us know you actually heard this stuff. Because uh, we're getting pretty into the weeds. All right, James, another great episode of White Sox business. We will recap Cubs and White Sox next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye.